Welcome and thank you for tuning into this week's life-changing message from the Equipping Church. We pray you are empowered and encouraged by the Word of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 My goodness, I wouldn't even need to preach this morning. We could just go home right there. Hallelujah. But whether you like it or not, I've got a word in my spirit, so I'm going to preach. <laughs> Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. How many of you are glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? The Bible says, I was happy, glad, overjoyed, and running over when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14 this morning. Luke chapter 14 is where we're going to be. And uh, I'm going to preach on a thought of uh, compelled. Compelled. Hallelujah. My God, the Spirit of God's in the room this morning. I can feel it in the atmosphere. He's in the room. Aren't you glad God shows up? I didn't show up for me this morning, that's for sure. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 16. But he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who'd been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the, and the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Mm-mm-mm. Let's pray. I need to pray. Hallelujah. Father, thank you right now that your presence is in this room. And I thank you, Father, that you'd anoint my lips to preach your word this morning, that I might preach what you'd have me to preach. Father, that when I pull my hands back, it'd be your handprint left. And I thank you, Father, that your goodness is in this house. I thank you, Father, that, that you're compelling us to compel. And I thank you, Father, that this morning there would be such a fresh anointing for preaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Our, our text this morning comes from a parable of Jesus. He's, he's telling a story. I, I love the way Jesus tells stories. Anyone like the parables? I mean, I, I just get so much from them. And once again, he addresses the hypocrisy and the self-righteous arrogance of the Pharisees. I mean, Jesus, he, you don't find him spending a lot of time uh, rebuking sinners at all. The ones he rebukes are the religious and the Pharisees and those who think they know it all. Anyone ever felt like you know it all? I, I, can, can, I, can we be honest? I've felt like I know it all. And then God goes, okay, let me give you something. 
Let, let me show you, you really don't know anything. And the longer I know Jesus, the less I know about him, I feel. Anyone feel like that? The more we get to know him, I heard someone say one time that the reason the angels cry holy, holy, holy is because every time they look at him, they see a new aspect and they can't but cry out holy. That he is so vast, so immense that, that, that we can't ever uh, know it all. And so he, he deals with their teachings regarding the Sabbath and their desire for recognition. And one of them spoke about the blessedness of having the privilege of eating bread within the kingdom of God. And Jesus seizes this opportunity to deal with the eternal matters of salvation and the responsibilities associated with salvation. So here the Pharisees are like, we're going to get to eat bread in the kingdom one day. And he just slices and dices the Pharisees right there. I mean, he just deals with them. And while Jesus, this parable is so rich theologically. I mean, there's so many, so many nuances in this regarding the doctrine of salvation. I, I don't necessarily want to focus there. I want to focus on our text verse and how it relates to our obligation as believers. Because we need to be compelled in this hour more than ever before. The Bible says not to pray for the harvest, but to pray that there would be laborers for the harvest. And, and, and in this, this passage, it talks about go and compel them to come. And, and I want to preach to you this morning on the idea that you need to be compelled. You as the believer need to be compelled. And that's where we're headed this morning. And so, so those who are in Christ, saved by His grace. Anyone saved by His grace this morning? How many are thankful that you're saved this morning? I'm so thankful to be saved, and I'm so thankful that we have the blessed hope of His return. I'm so thankful that He is coming back, and all these theologies that say this is the millennium, man, I want to slap a few of them and go, if this is the millennium, I'm out. Because this ain't, this ain't nothing what the Bible describes, and if this is it, well, I'm disappointed. Some of you thought that was funny. Some of you didn't. That's okay. I can preach to the wall. I'll be okay. But those who are in Christ, saved by His grace, pardoned from condemnation. We should have a compelling desire to reach those who are yet to receive salvation. We should have a compelling desire. And I will admit that at times I don't have that compelling desire. It's uncomfortable. If you've ever shared the gospel, it can be uncomfortable. I talk about my many stories of going to Walmart. And God leads me to share the gospel in Walmart. I was in Houston a couple weeks ago. I was just taking some time just to, to get away. And, and I ministered to three homeless people on the street. One of them tried to punch me. That was an adventure. Their demons didn't like me. Hallelujah. But it's uncomfortable. But we should, if we are born again, if we've had a salvation experience, if we've come to know Jesus and we are bought with the blood and we've been rescued from our sin, we should have within us this compelling desire to rescue people from hell. I heard one preacher say it this way. He said, I, I don't need a mansion on the nicest street in town. I'm going to camp out right at the gates of hell that I might rescue as many as I can on their way there. And so, so we should have this compelling desire. And I, I trust that the Lord will deal with our hearts this morning as we examine the aspects of this command. So the first thing that I want to look at is the details within the command. Look at verse 23 with me. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in 
that my house may be filled. Our text is set within the context of this incredible supper. I mean, we're going to have an incredible banquet next week. We're, we're transforming this room into a wedding feast. It's, it's going to be beautiful. Pastor Anna's got it all planned out. If you want to help, show up Saturday at 3. She needs help. We're, we're going to do this. But our little banquet that we're going to do next Sunday pales in comparison to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Pales in comparison to what Jesus has prepared for his bride. Pales into comparison, I'm sure, what this master had provided of this great supper. And the master of the house, he had prepared this great feast. And most of the invited guests made excuses and asked to be excused from the feast. Determined to enjoy the meal, the master bade his servant to find those and fill the house. He says, I've prepared this whole thing. I've got it ready. It's, it's beautiful. I mean, the place described had, if we look at this, we would have learned that the servant had already searched the streets and the lanes of the city. He had already gone out. He says, Master, I've already done that. I've gone and I've tried to find as many people as I could. And, and, and there's still room at the banquet. There's still room at the table. There's still room in the banquet hall. And the master then says to him, Go out into the highways and the hedges to find additional guests for the great feast. No doubt the servant may have known where to search, but he was not as familiar with the highways and the hedges surrounding the city and the outlying areas. Nevertheless, at the master's command, the servant searched the highways and the hedges determined to find additional guests for the feast. And we need to consider our responsibility, church, to reach those who have yet to be saved and this presents a sobering challenge because we usually don't mind serving the Lord in those places that are familiar. We're, we're pretty good at that. That's why a couple weeks ago, we issued a command. Or maybe not a command. That, that sounds controlling. We issued a challenge. That's a better word. Take an invitation to the banquet. Pray about it. Give it to someone that the Lord gives on your heart. That's easy to do. Oh, I know so-and-so. I can take an invitation to them. They won't be offended if I invite them. They like me sometimes. My neighbor knows who I am. This person knows who I am. This coworker. We, we, we know those people and, and it's familiar to us. But, but the master says to him, go, go out into the highways and the hedges, not just the streets and, and your lane. You know that, that popular phrase these days, stay in your lane? Anyone heard that recently? So yeah, we stay in our own lane. We, we know the people we're inviting. We're, we're good with that. But he says, go, go out to the highways and the hedges that, where the lost and the perishing exist. I mean, we look at the people desired here. The Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Do you notice whom the master bade the servant to go to? He was sent out to compel them. Who's the them there? There's no description given. We don't know who the them is. We just know that they're out in the highways and the hedges. They're the ones on the, the outskirts. They're the ones that, that no one really knows who they are. There's no description given. There's no prerequisites established. There was, this was an open invitation to whomever the servant encountered. See, whomever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Aren't you thankful this morning that you were a whomever sometime in your life? You may have not had the pedigree. You may have not had the ancestry. You may have not had the history, but you were a whomever. And Jesus came for the whomevers. 
It doesn't matter our history. It's whomever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he says, go out and get them, those in the highways and the hedges. No prerequisites. It was an open invitation for those whom the servant encountered, whomever they were. And praise the Lord, we serve the one who compels whoever will come. Whoever will come, there's a seat for you. Whomever. However, we do need to realize that those the servant encountered in the highways and the hedges would have been considered the undesirable by the Pharisees and the majority at large. The master was unconcerned with credentials or background. He just wanted the guests to enjoy his feast. And as I pondered those the servant would have encountered, I imagined how some of them may have been. He likely would have encountered the desperate. We do know that he'd invited those within the city who were already poor, who were already maimed, who were already halt, who were already blind. They had already been invited. Those alone seem like the outcast, right? The poor, the blind, those who are dependent on others, those who can't see their own way. They had already been invited, and the master says, we'll go out into the highways and the hedges. If these were present in the city, it stands to reason they would have existed in the highways and the hedges as well. And we too encounter many who are desperate today. They're separated from God in sin and seeking a means of hope. And we must seek them out and share the gospel with them, church. The desperate. I imagine he would have found the defiant. The highways and the hedges were frequented by bandits and robbers those who purposely chose to live a life of rebellion. And how often in our own hearts do we look at the defiant and go, I don't want anything to do with them. Just as much as a sinner as we were. We, we can't look at their sin choices and go, oh, they're, they're less than. Jesus died for them too. The defiant. Our world is filled with those who are living their lives the way they choose. And I dare to say the church is often filled with those who choose to live their life the way they do. Oftentimes we find the defiant right inside the four walls. Often those in the highways and the hedges don't even understand that they're defiant. They're so broken. They're the desperate, but they're also the defiant. But they're included in the them of the text. They may refuse our invitation, but that doesn't excuse us from sharing our faith. In fact, if we are rejected the first time, we must be willing to go again and again if necessary. I remember years ago, I took care of a man, and he was a devout atheist. That's what he said. He says, just as you're devout about Jesus, I'm devout that there is none. I was his caretaker. The man smoked weed every night. I'd have to sit outside so I didn't get contact high. But I bathed him. I took care of him. And he, he was blind in both eyes. But he knew every time I walked in the door, some of you know my first name is Kenneth. He decided that he was going to call me Kenny. And that's exactly how he talked. Kenny, I heard you come in. What are you doing, Kenny? Get me my pot. That's what he'd say every night when I'd come in to take care of him. And I'd share the gospel with him. He'd go, ah, oh, that's so stupid. He goes, stop wasting my ears. That's what he'd say. Stop wasting my ears. And so I'd say, and he'd say, what'd you read in the Bible today? And so I'd tell him. And then he'd try to argue it. Well, this is why in the Greek that's wrong. He was a brilliant man. Brilliant. About six days before he died, I came in one night. He was sitting up. He never sat up. He hated to sit up. He always wanted to lay down. He was sitting up. And he goes, Kenny, come sit over here. I said, what do you need? He goes, well, 
I've been thinking. You haven't run away from me yet. You must really believe this stuff. He didn't say stuff. He says it's a dangerous thing when I think. And I'm thinking I might give him a try. I said, this is, I said but you're an atheist. He said, I don't think so anymore. Prayed with him. The next day he went into a coma. Never woke up again. Gave his heart to Jesus. Surrendered his life. 96 years old. 96, had lived his whole life pretty much as an atheist. His dad had told him there was no God. And then he went to war and he said, I learned that there was no God in war. And then gives his life to Jesus days before he dies. He was defiant. He was mean. But we have to keep going to the defiant. We have to keep reaching them. That's our call. It's our mandate. We must go. The difficult, he was difficult. Surely the servant encountered some who presented particular challenges. They may have appeared ungrateful <clears throat> or uninterested. Or have you ever heard this phrase? What do you want from me? Why would you invite me to church? What do you want? I remember I invited one, one guy one time at Walmart, as usual. And he said, oh, I used to go to church. I'm not coming to your church. You'll put me on the praise team. I said, no, I won't. You know me, I don't put anyone on the praise team anymore. <laughs> Had too many issues. I said, no, I won't. He goes, oh, it'll happen. He said, I've played with the best. I'm a great musician. You'll put me on the praise team. I said, I promise you I won't. He said, I promise you I won't come to church. He was difficult. He desired to argue. And what we'll find is oftentimes they come with the unanswerable questions. I don't have an answer for it. I don't know why that happened. I can't give you an answer for that situation. Can I give you something just to, to, to take the pressure off? I don't know is a very good answer. They don't want some religious Christianese or evangelical Latin. They don't need a religious response. I don't know is really good. We don't have to try and figure out their life situations. But what I do know is God is sovereign, but he's sovereignly good. He's sovereignly good. And so I can't explain the situations in the difficult person's life. I can't explain why they've gone through the things that they've gone through. But what I do know is we live in a fallen world. Bad things happen even to good people. But we have a God who rescued us from sin. And that's what I know. And that even if I go through trials and tribulations on this side, there is a blessed hope of his return that he is coming back. He will split the sky. He will walk through that eastern gate. He'll walk across and he will rule and reign. And we will reign with him. We're going to have to go through some trouble to get there. But he's coming back. And that's our blessed hope. He didn't just come once. He's coming again. And we cannot write people off just because they're difficult at times. We must be willing to compel them for Christ. We're going to find the different. No doubt the servant encountered many in the highways and hedges that were different than those in the city. Their dress was different. Their preferences and way of life was different. They may not have been of the Jewish race. Remember, the servant was not given any prerequisites. He wasn't said, just invite the Jews. Invite any who will come. Compel them 
to come. We encounter many in our modern society who are different, but they need Jesus too. We cannot reserve our conversation for those who appear just like us. We too must seek out those who are different. Just because they walk like us and talk like us doesn't mean they're more qualified for the gospel. You know, can I just be real? I'm kind of tired of, of, of recycled church folks. When they leave one church offended and come to the next church offended. Because it won't be long before they're offended with me about the same thing they were offended with the previous pastor about. I just want some fresh fish that I can gut, clean out. You gut and clean them out. Let's get some fresh fish in the house. People who don't have religious backgrounds. And then we can train them up to be free in the Holy Ghost. When they come with all their religious baggage, it's a lot more work. Can I just be real? That's why Encounter Weekend is so important. If you haven't gone through an Encounter Weekend, you need to come to one. It'll be in the fall. Makes my life a whole lot easier. Just get you to Jesus. Let him cut off all your baggage. But see, here, here's the thing is that the master not only wanted him to go, but he desired for the house to be filled. You should carry the same desire of the master that his house may be filled. And I'm not just talking about this location. I'm talking about every demonstration of the gospel. Every fellowship of believers should be full. I didn't get any amens on that. That's okay. Preaching to the wall this morning. The Bible says if you don't cry out, the rocks will. The desire of the command, the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. I love how the Amplified says it. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and urge and constrain them to yield and come in. Urge and constrain. What does that mean? Come here, Hector. Come on. The master's waiting. Right? Urge, constrain, give no option. I don't want to go to church. I don't care. There's a great meal happening. Something's happening. You don't want to miss it. You want to be so excited about it that they sense your excitement and go, I want what you've got. Now, if I do this, Hector, you know my life's so tough, but I go to church, and um, I feel better when they sing my favorite song on Sunday, and so I'd really like you to, would you might come to church with me maybe? No, I don't want to go to church with you. What does your pastor preach? You, you look depressed all the time. <laughs> you know, gloom, despair, but God is good. I just live a life of misery, but Jesus saved me. Hallelujah. Would you like to go to church with me, Hector? No. No, right. <laughs> I mean, church folks, we can be so down and out. Well, life's just terrible, but God is good. Come to church with me. I wouldn't go to church with you, Eeyore. Can, can we be real, though? Like, how often do we, do we give a picture of what Christianity is not? Or how about this one? At work, gossiping about the other coworker. Uh, did you see what she was wearing today? I can't believe she came to work like that. You want to come to church with me? Oh, yeah, so you can gossip about what I wore to church? Yeah, sure. I just hate our boss. I can't believe our boss. But I have a great pastor. Really? 
How long before you start telling me about how bad your pastor is? I'm not, I worked in an office one time and I'd listen to this other person talk about another person and then invite them to church. That they went to church with the person that they were talking about. And it wasn't long before this person was talking to this person about that person. And then this person, who wasn't even saved yet, had gone to church and got saved, and it was two months before they were back in drugs and not serving the Lord anymore because they got hurt by the person that invited them to church. (laughs) But can we be real? Like, if we're going to carry the gospel, let's carry it with integrity. Let's be real believers, not churchgoers. Not churchgoers. So, he says, urge and constrain them. And as we read the command of the master of the house, it's easy to sense the desire he possessed. He had passion. The master was passionate about the house being full. He said, compel them to come. And this reveals more than a mere invitation. It involves a, more than a casual, unconcerned conversation. It speaks of the power of persuasion and the sense of necessity. Like, you need to understand, you carry the necessity for life on the inside of you. You have salvation. You have the gospel. You have the answer to the heart cry of the broken. How dare we not share it? How dare we sit back and go, I'm just going to recline until he comes. Wine and dine and wait for him. He's going to be like, who are you? I don't know you, but I prophesied in church. I don't know you, but I did this. I did that, but I don't know you because you didn't carry my heart. You might have had signs and wonders. Do you know people have signs and wonders all the time that don't carry the Father's heart because God's just so good he cares about the person who's, who's getting healed and delivered? But if we really carry the gospel will carry the necessity of urging them to come to the master's table, of urging them to come to the banquet, of urging them to know him. It doesn't necessarily refer to physical force, even though that's the example I used with Hector. But it's our witness and our persuasion. The master was passionate about the guest coming, and he expected the servant to convey his passion through a passionate and convincing invitation. If we, don't, if we are not convinced of what we carry, we won't be very convincing when we share it with others. We need to regain our passion about the gospel. As we share our faith, we're not speaking of current events or the latest cultural fad. We are speaking of the eternal God coming to earth to die for our sins so that we might be saved and reconciled to God. Because he's coming back. We can go with the power of the Spirit working on our behalf. I want you to take a moment right now and remember the moment you got saved. Remember the moment you woke up to the gospel. Remember the moment you understood, I have a need for the Savior. Remember the excitement that was on the inside of you. I've I've seen people, they come alive to the gospel and, and they want to share the gospel with everyone. And what happens? The religious kill the passion. You're getting a little too radical for Jesus. You're, you're, you know, it, it's, 
You haven't gone to seminary yet. Think about the thief on the cross. Think about the thief on the cross. I mean, when he got to heaven and he met, now I'm stealing the story from another guy, but I'm going to tell it my way, all right? This isn't a Jacob original. But can you imagine when he got to heaven and he's standing at the pearly gates and Peter's like, who are you? Can you tell me the doctrine of justification? Can you give me the five points? Can you tell me the Romans road? How'd you get here? His only response could be the man on the middle cross told me I could come. The man on the middle cross told me that I could come. He gave me permission. He said, I'd see you again. He said, I'd be with him. The passion of Jesus on the cross is what rescued us from our sin. And we should carry that same passion to see others reconciled to the Father. But I think we've grown so selfish in our charismatic expressions and our Pentecostal power that we go, oh, I just want the thrills and chills, another prophetic word. I want to add up all my prophetic words. I want to experience God. I want to go to heaven every day and ride Ferris wheels and I want to do all this stuff. It's nonsense if people are still going to hell. I'll just take the lack of responses, conviction, hallelujah. The excitement we feel for what we've received should motivate us to share our faith with passion, literally compelling others to come to Christ by faith. Now, here's the thing that I think we often face the most is we're like, well, who do I talk to? What do I do? Listen, you can't share the gospel with someone that the Holy Ghost isn't drawing. You've got to be led by God. You need to be led by the Spirit. Otherwise, you'll feel like you're wearing yourself out trying to share the gospel with everybody. The Bible says no one comes into salvation unless the Holy Spirit is drawing them. So how do you know the Holy Spirit's drawing them? Because He's drawing you to share the gospel with them. Don't let religious, you know, all, all the evangelical religiousness get a hold of you and be like, oh, I've got to tell the gospel to every single person that I meet. You'll wear yourself out. I've done it. You've got to be led by the Spirit. You've got to let God lead you to the people. I often pray, God, lead me to someone today. And then he does. I cross paths with someone at the restaurant or at, at the store or, or, or wherever I'm going, and God puts people in my path. Uh, that's how we have to do it. We can't, just, we can't be the street preachers who hold signs that say, turn or burn. It doesn't work. I asked one time, this guy, I was down in Santa Monica, California, and he had one of those signs. And I mean, it was obscene. I thought a Christian should never hold a sign that says something like that. I'm not even going to repeat it. That's how obscene it was. And I walked up to him and I said, brother, I said, how many people have you led to Christ? And he goes, well, uh, about two. I said, how long have you been doing this? He says, oh, I've been out here for 13 years proclaiming the gospel. I said, in 13 years, you've led two people to Jesus. I said, did you do it with your sign? He goes, well, no, one was at a restaurant. I said, hmm, I don't think your methods have much fruit, brother. He goes, no, they're hearing the gospel. And if they, if they don't turn, they will burn. And, and you, you, you just believe in that greasy grace. And I mean, just started trying to rebuke me. And I was like, huh, okay. So I thought, I'm going to do something today. I just got a little bold. I went and stood on the opposite corner. And I had gone to Walmart. I bought a poster board. And it just said, Jesus loves you. I led 13 people to the Lord at Santa Monica Pier that day across from the guy who was a bigot and, and racist and all sorts of other stuff, uh, claiming to be a Christian. And uh, at the end of it, he comes over to me. He goes, why are people coming over to you? I said, because they see you and then they see me and they go, yeah, I don't want that. 
It's the kindness of God that leads man to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. It was fun. I was 18 when I did that. So much fun. 13 people came to know the Lord right there on the corner because the kindness of God led them to repentance. The kindness. If we just walk around with wanting to beat people up with the gospel, it's not going to work. Jesus already took all the beatings for the gospel, all right? Now, you might need to take some. Okay, you might be called to martyrdom. Might happen, all right? With the way our country's headed, you might give your life for the gospel. You need to be okay with that. If you're not okay with that, come visit the altar at some point. It'd be good for you. Lay your life down again. But I say all that to say that there needs to be a passion. There needs to be a passion on the inside of you. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might be all mean, but that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. There's purpose. There's passion and then there's purpose. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. The search of the servant was not without purpose. The master of the house had prepared a great supper. The meal was ready and he desired the house to be filled with guests, enjoying the fruit of his labor. There had been too much time, too much effort, too much expense put into this meal for the table to be empty. He wanted the house filled with guests to enjoy his offering of grace. And our command to share the good news of the glorious gospel is not without consequence or purpose either. Like the master of the house, our Lord has made provision for mankind. He laid aside the glories he enjoyed in heaven, came to earth robed in a body of flesh, bled and died for our redemption, rose again for our justification. He paid the ultimate price, offering himself as the atoning sacrifice for sin. And Jesus desires his house to be filled he's preparing a home in heaven for the saved and we will one day sit down at the marriage supper of the lamb we will one day sit at the marriage supper of the lamb and it needs to be full and he's made you the agents of invitation the grace is available to all who come to him by faith. The master desires all to come and partake of the gracious provision he has secured. Our witness has divine purpose, reaching those who have yet to come to Christ in salvation, and we've been given orders to take the gospel to the world for the salvation of men. And then there's a directive in the command. The Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. There's a small word within this command that we cannot overlook. The servant was commanded to go. This was not given for his consideration. He wasn't given an option. He was told, go. With full expectation of his obedience. Consider the urgency. There was no time to waste. The meal had been prepared, and yet there was room for more guests. The master desired more people to attend the supper. There was a specific time frame in which the task must be completed. Tomorrow would be too late. The servant had to find and compel the guests to attend the meal that day. I pray, church, that we begin to sense the urgency of our day. The return of the Lord is nearer than it ever has been before. And we're going to go through some things waiting for his return. But those who are saved by grace are included in the body of Christ will be called out to meet the master when he returns. And none are promised tomorrow. 
Preparations to be included in the Lord's eternal plan must be made in this life. Death is certain and it's coming to all of us if the Lord doesn't come soon. Should he tarry, you may taste of death on this side. If he should return, well, glory, hallelujah. We're going to go through some things until his return. But let me tell you, preparations need to be made for his return. You need to be prepared for his return. You need to trim your lamps, fill your oil, and invite them to come. Invite them to come. Carry the urgency. Heaven has an urgency. There is an urgency in heaven in this hour, and I'm saying to you, get urgent about his return. Don't live unaware of his return. The day of the Lord is terrible, and it's coming, and you must have an urgency in this hour for the return of the Lord. There's an urgency, church. Tomorrow may be too late. We must compel them to come while the invitation to come and dine is being extended. The word go is an action word that expects and requires participation. In order to fulfill the master's command, the servant had to actively and purposely pursue guests for the supper. Knowing where to find them was great, but that wasn't enough. In order to hear the invitation, he had to go where they were and invite them. He had to seek them out. For years, the church has had this command turned around. Instead of going out and pursuing those who have yet to come to Christ, we expect them to come to us. Churches use radio, internet, social media. We use all of that to broadcast our services and event times and simply assume that the masses will show up. That's not our culture anymore. It used to be that cities were built around the church in the center of the community. That's not it anymore. I was reading an article the other day. Master planners for new communities don't even include church facilities in their master plans anymore. It's not even factored in. So we cannot assume just because we have a nice flyer and just because we have a great invitation, we have a whole basket of invitations for you to take. These are not going to fly out the door on their own and land in someone's lap. You must go. You must have an urgency. Invite. So I, I want to challenge you to take some invitations today and invite people to next Sunday. But listen, don't wait for me to preach the gospel to them. You might give them the invitation and right there have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And you're not bringing a sinner to the banquet. You're bringing someone who got saved because you shared the gospel with them. It's not my work to preach the gospel to them. I'm a believer just like you, so I'm going to do it. But you're a believer. You're a believer. And believers preach the word. Believers preach the gospel. We know that the approach of just waiting for the masses to show up has failed miserably. Jesus did not command us to sit and wait for them to come to us. He commands us to go to them. If fellowship is experiencing the salvation of men, women, and children, we must be willing to take the gospel to them, compelling them to believe in Christ by faith. That is the biblical model we read over and over again. Require, uh, reaching our community for Christ requires some good old-fashioned hard work. The harvest is white. It's ready. Pray for the laborers. My prayer has shifted so much over the last six months. God, I'm not praying for harvest anymore. The harvest has been ready for 2,000 years. It's been ready. It's waiting. Who's it waiting on? You. 
You. It's waiting on you to share the gospel with someone. To go get the harvest. As I close this morning. I think this is a passage most of us know well. But how often do we practice its teaching? Are we willing to go out into the highways and hedges of our community to engage people where they are, as they are, with the gospel? There are no prerequisites. You understand that? There's no prerequisites. They don't need to get cleaned up before they come in. We are commanded to compel them to come in. Church, I'm inviting you to join me in the pursuit of those who need Christ. Will you make today a renewed commitment to follow the Lord's command to share our faith with the world? We are the ones who have hope, church. You get that this morning? We have hope. We have the blessed hope of his return. But we also have the hope that if we should die before his return, we get eternity with him either way. We've been reconciled to God. We've been saved from our sin. We've been delivered from the flames of hell. We cannot be silent any longer, church. How each of us shares the gospel, it's going to be unique to you. How, who you reach out to, that's unique to you. Be led by God. Be led by the Spirit of God, but do it. Don't resist the call to go. Don't resist it any longer. The call has been the same for 2,000 years. Go. Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come. The master's table is ready. He wants them to eat. Jesus, I pray right now. Stir up in our hearts, God, a passion for the gospel, the good news. The invitation has been extended. You're in this room this morning and you've yet to receive Christ. You've already given an invitation. The invitation's extended to you. Come to Him by faith today, repenting of sin and believing in Him for salvation. The gospel, the good news is that God Himself has come to rescue and renew all creation through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. He's already done the work. He's already done the work. It's available. Church, we've got to have passion for His name to be proclaimed to those who don't know Him. Amen. We pray that your life was impacted today by the presence of God. For more information about the Equipping Church or to give online, please visit www.equippingchurch.us.